Acts chapter number 5. As we have already established in the book of Acts, in the first four chapters, we find some remarkable and wonderful things happening in the church. We know that in chapter 1, Jesus had instructed his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. The day of Pentecost arrived in chapter 2, and they preached the Lord Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. Peter and uh, thousands of the people, Jews around the world that had come for the feast of Pentecost, uh, turned to Christ. Remember, at the end of Peter's preaching, they said, what, mo- what must we do? And uh, we see that many of the people in that day uh, believed, received the word, were baptized, were added to the church. We come into chapter 3, and we find a great miracle that was done in chapter 3 by Peter and John, who were going to the temple. And as they arrived in the temple, we see at the beautiful gate that a man who was lame, uh, they performed a miracle on them, and uh, Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have gave I unto thee. And we see that the, the man was raised. He is uh, leaping, praising God in the temple. He has a hold of Peter and John. And what do Peter and John proceed to do? They do not put up a billboard and say, This is how you can perform miracles. They preach Jesus. That's what they do. All the miracles that you read about are not about the miracles. And that's where the world has gone wrong. Uh, They are missing Jesus Christ. And we find that the preaching of Jesus Christ in chapter 4 brought on the first persecution that is ever recorded of the church. And as the church was under persecution, we see that really what we find the world to be, the world is still in the same condition today. Stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And they threatened the disciples, Peter and John, and so based upon that threat, chapter number 4, they went back to their own company, that means their group of believers, that they were gathered together, and their response was quite simple. They prayed. And they prayed and they focused on God in their prayer in chapter 4. And they prayed one request. Remember what it was? Give us boldness to preach thy word. They did not pray for the persecution to cease. They did not pray for the trouble to go away. They prayed that in their trouble, God would give them boldness. In the very next verse, God gives them boldness and they keep preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. Things are going well. As a matter of fact, uh, we see that they were all, at chapter 4, we see that the believers were all filled with the Spirit of God. There was a spirit of unity, of one accord. Uh, Some of the believers were moved by the Holy Spirit of God to sell some of their possessions and to bring them at the apostles' feet. And all that we've dealt with, really up to chapter 4, is the enemy that the church faced from without. But we come to chapter 5, and there's a big but that begins in the chapter, and we see now the enemy of the church from within. And the truth is, we have to be fully aware of the things that are going on in the world, and we have to identify the attacks and the persecution of the church, and we have to continue to serve God through persecution. But often what is neglected is the enemy from within. What can destroy the church from within? And I believe with all my heart that what we've seen happen in America from the inception of the the birth of the country and 
really the rise of Christianity and how our founding documents were based upon biblical truths and principles that the forefathers acknowledged themselves. I think we have to be aware as we look at our country and we say, what has happened? We haven't had to face any persecution from without, at least not to the degree of what we see in the first century church. So what has destroyed the church in America? I'll tell you what it is. The enemy from within. And so here in Acts chapter 5, God gives us this account for a reason. As most biographies, they tend to gloss over all the bad things. Depending on who you are, or to only emphasize the bad things. Uh, But it's always skewed. But here God gives us an accurate record of what took place in the first century church. And so it is for our learning here in verse number 1, Acts 5. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now, what they were doing here is what many of the other believers had done. We leave chapter 4. We saw that that was what Barabbas did. He sold a possession, brought it to the apostles' feet. But Ananias and Sapphira, they too sold a possession, verse 2, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold the feet of them which have buried thy husband at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. If you remember, I gave us some preliminary truths and three things. We saw that when this account happens in Acts chapter 5, they were in the midst of what we would, I would refer to as praiseworthy circumstances. Wonderful things were happening. But all of a sudden, the, the, the man by the name of Ananias and his wife Sapphira perform a thing by the way that they were not required to do. They were not forced to do. That's what Peter tells them. He says, it was not in thy own power. Didn't you have the right to make that decision on your own? Why have you lied? Why have you deceived? And so in the midst of those praiseworthy circumstances, we find the perfidious conduct, the deceptive conduct of Ananias and Sapphira, who sold this possession and pretended as Barnabas had done to bring all of the money, and they, if you would, there was a public display. He came into the church, and in front of everybody, he got down and he perhaps stooped and put the money and laid it at the apostles' feet in a great display, as we know, but the church did not know at that time, of hypocrisy, a great display of hypocrisy. 
We see everything about their conduct was deceitful from the moment they thought and conspired to do this thing and to agree together to deceive the church. But then I brought our attention to the prevalent cause. What caused, what moved Ananias and Sapphira to do what they did? And I tell you, it is what always moves man. Twice the apostle Peter asked the question, why? Notice verse number 3. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? And then the second time in verse number 4, Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? I want to preach, uh, kind of continuing from last week, but this morning the title of the message, uh, I entitled, Conceived in Thine Heart. Conceived in thine heart. If you remember, I read from one commentator who said, put it this way, he says, people talk so much today about psychology, but it is there that they are wrong. Because psychology simply simply means the understanding of people and their behavior in totality. Here in the Bible, and here alone, we get a true assessment of human nature and an analysis that reveals a profound psychological understanding that that is this, that the behavior of Ananias and Sapphira uh, was not an accident, it originated in their hearts. Peter said, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? You see, often I believe as we look at the world and we see the world as it is, The great ignorance of the world is to fail to admit or to realize the wickedness of the heart. And the government and societies always come up with certain programs to try to help people in their behavior, but they never deal with the root issue. And that is the heart of man. And here as we look at the church, we see that the enemy of the church is that which is conceived in the heart. What is it that has the great potential to destroy First State Baptist Church? I'll tell you what, what is conceived in the heart. Something that will arise in the heart of one individual can come up and ruin and destroy an entire church. In Matthew chapter 15, if you turn there with me, I left with this passage last week. In Matthew 15... We know that Jesus Christ is addressing a particular truth and what many people were concerned with during the time of Christ, namely the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes, was all that was on the outward and they were complaining that Jesus Christ or perhaps the disciples, they were eating when they shouldn't be eating, they were not washing their hands, they were not washing their feet, and they were concerned with all things outward. If we are not careful, we can also become concerned with everything outward, uh, getting this idea that it will reflect our heart. Now, the things that come out of us proceed from the heart. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 15. Notice with me verse 17. Do ye uh, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly, and it cast out into the drought? 
But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the what? The heart. And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with the unwashed hands defileth not a man. Jesus says here, what is it that truly defiles a man? As people are listening to the Lord Jesus Christ teaching and preaching, and some people will say, well, you're not washing your hands. Wash your hands and put the right type of stuff in your body and make sure that you uh, do everything on the outside that people can observe so that you can have some appearance, uh, appearance of righteousness. And Jesus said, it is not what you put inside your body that defiles you. It is that which comes from your heart that defiles you. As we look at Acts chapter number 5, the two questions is, Peter said, Why hath Satan filled thine heart? And then he says, Why hast thou conceived in thine heart? I want to think about that question, why, as we focus a little while on the heart and see that this is the great enemy of the church. We have to understand what the heart is. What is the heart as we think about uh, we study the Scriptures and the Word of God, and we, we have the certain Scriptures that come to our mind, but let's try to give some clarification. For example, in Genesis chapter number 6, as it was mentioned by John this morning in Sunday school, in verse number 5, the Bible says that God saw in the days of Noah that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and here it is, and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. So we ask ourselves here, what is the heart? I'll tell you what the heart is. The heart is the place where we think. Uh, let's try to rid of our notions that the heart is the pumping organ, as we see in the Word of God. Uh, we find here that it is the place where man thinks, it is the place where man imagines, it is also the root place where evil comes from. The tree of evil that grows where does the seed come from? It comes from the heart. In verse number 6 uh, of Genesis chapter 6, verse number 6, the Bible tells us, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. So we know that the heart is where the thoughts and the imaginations and evil behavior comes from. We also know in that very same chapter, and this is by the way the first mention of the heart in the, in the Bible, we also know that God was grieved at his heart. Grieve is, uh, or the heart is where the feelings are felt. If you grieve, if you feel anger, where is that felt? It is in your heart. When you are happy, that is in your heart. I remember yesterday, I was reminding my wife, we came up 141 to head up to the church this morning. I was sharing with the guys yesterday as we went out in the community outreach, and uh, I had, um, as I was going up 141, I was driving the speed limit, okay, and there was somebody to my right in the other lane, and they were also driving the speed limit, and I happened, and we were about going the same speed, and there's a, a car behind me, and, I, and uh, I felt a presence, and I looked up in my rearview mirror, and there was someone tailgating me, not really very close to my car. And you know what happened in that moment? The feelings welled up in my heart, and I began to, like, what is she doing? And she was visibly, as I was looking at my rear view mirror, 
She was shouting. She was waving her arms. Uh, you know, her hair was bobbling everywhere. And I thought to myself, man, this is, this is bad. And there was a moment, if you would, of, of, I can't believe this, of anger, resentment. Almost, I didn't do it, but almost, I should slam on my brakes right now. <laughs> what is that? The heart. That, those feelings, that comes from the heart. I sped up a little bit to give her an occasion to go around, and she did. So I, I sped up, and she flew right around me, cut me off, and she was, you know, doing gestures and signs that I don't know what she was doing. But she was obviously angry. And I was kind of, you know, troubled. I, I thought to myself, I didn't do anything. I was driving the speed limit. I don't always do that. <laughs> but then my, my feelings changed when she whipped around the corner 141, and right under the bridge was a state trooper. <laughs> yes. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be wonderful if the police officer would pull this woman over? And sure enough, he pulled out. He went right behind her. The lights turned on. And I am sorry. I was by myself in the car, but I laughed hysterically. <laughs> My heart, in an instant, changed. From being kind of troubled to being as happy as could be. <laughs> now, maybe I should feel bad, but look, she was recklessly driving. Okay? So I'm glad that there's officers that do their job out there. And it was the instant fulfillment. But I thought to myself, as I was, I was preparing for this message, and you know, I was thinking about the heart, I thought, you know, that's how quickly our heart turns. We feel grief, and the next moment we hear something or something happens, and there's instant joy. Where does that happen? It happens in the heart. God felt grief in his heart. That's where pain is. It's felt in the heart. Have you ever you know, uh, heard bad news, and then all of a sudden you kinda, you're not hungry, and your gut feels strange that you can't eat anything? What is that? That's the heart. The pain that is felt. We could continue reading. If you remember in Genesis 27.11, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will slay my brother in his heart. The feelings of anger and hatred and committing a heinous crime crossed in his heart. In Genesis 42.28, you remember when the uh, sons of Jacob go out and they get food in Egypt and they come back and they find the money in the bags? And you remember the feeling of Jacob in Genesis 42, 28, when they say, my money is restored and lo, it is even in my sack. And the Bible says, and their heart failed them. In other words, they saw what happened and it's almost like there was a moment of, what's going to happen? What, what, what is happening? There was a moment of uncertainty. What is that? What is that? That's the heart. Their heart failed them. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16, you remember David was rejoicing and Michael, Saul's daughter, looked out and she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And the Bible says, and she despised him in her heart. When you look at someone and you have anger or you despise them or you look down on them, what is that? That's your heart that does, that is doing that. In 2 Samuel 24, 10, remember when David numbered the people and he was not supposed to? After he realized that, the Bible says, and David's heart smote him. 
In Psalm 13, verse 5, the psalmist says, But I have trusted in the mercy of the Lord. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. So we think about the heart. We understand man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. Within our bodies, we have our five senses. We can hear, we can smell, we can see, uh, we can taste. Uh, We are uh, soul and spirit as well, but within the soul, the soul often is used interchangeably uh, also with the heart and sometimes even with the spirit. But all those, if you would, the spirit is what gives us God awareness or God consciousness, which separates us from animals. We did not come from the monkey. We were created in the image of God. And as such, within the soul is the, if you would, the mind, the will, and the emotions. Where we think, that's our hearts. The emotions that arise out of us, that's the heart. The will, when we make decision, according to the Bible, remember Daniel, he purposed in his heart. He made a decision. Where did that decision happen? It happened in his heart. So we think about the soul or the heart, we think about, the mind, the will, and the emotion. And we see that when we feel grief, that's in the heart. When we feel hatred, it's in the heart. When thoughts arise, when imagination comes, when evil is perpetrated, where does it come from? It comes from the heart. And that is why the world desperately needs Jesus Christ. Because the heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. And so the heart needs to be, uh, uh, needs to be cleansed, and it can only be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach the gospel, the good news of salvation. But I want us to consider several truths about the heart that we find here in our text. As we look at Acts chapter 5, notice again with me verse number 3. Or let's go to begin in verse number 4. He says, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Now, the word conceive is an interesting uh, word. I was reading and studying it. It basically means to, to kind of place. It has the idea of, you know, when you make your bed in the morning, you place horizontally and you kind of set up. You organize yourself and you uh, set it out. You place it out horizontally. That's the idea of the word conceived. And so the idea here is something has happened, Ananias, in your heart. Something, a thought has arisen, and you've kind of uh, laid it out in your mind, in your heart. You've uh, purposed that. You've placed that in your heart. And understand that uh, that comes from Jeremiah seventeen nine, where the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately wicked, who can know it? What is he telling us? That we, we don't even know as, as, uh, how, how quickly our, our heart is to change. You know, we could, we could be in church and then God gets a hold of our hearts and we can repent and rejoice in the Lord once again. And just a few moments later, something happens and then the heart changes instantly. Something arises in the heart. Something is conceived in the heart. It arises. And so we see here, we have to be conscious of the tendencies of the heart. We have to acknowledge that. When we think about the first century church here in Acts chapter number 5, we think about all the persecution from without the church. But now we look into the church. And what is God trying to teach us in Acts chapter number 5? Why did why did God point out this one particular instance? Now, did uh, was any other believer ever? in the history of the church a hypocrite? 
Of course. There are many through the centuries that have done deeds of hypocrisy. God doesn't strike down everybody that's hypocrite every time. But here, God is sharing us the story so that we might learn from it. And we see immediately the tendencies of the heart. When uh, Peter says, why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? He is showing, uh, by the way, he's speaking publicly. This is a warning for everybody in the church. There are going to be some thoughts, some desires, some things that you're going to organize in your heart. Some thoughts you're going to have. And that is going to be your tendency. Be on the lookout. The whole philosophy today of, hey... Just follow your heart. is so deceptive and destructive. No, don't follow your heart. Your heart is desperately wicked. You see, that is the uh, fundamental flaw that our society does not understand. We have, as you look at when our country was first founded and the public schools were first formed, Bibles were printed and placed in the hands of every child. And some people were pretty upset with that, and so they thought to themselves, and some, if you would, uh, people who were philosophers, they came up with this kind of blank slate theory. And there are a number of men who came up with those, and they were talking about basically they say when a child is born, he is born as a blank slate, he is neither good nor evil, and if he has the right environment, he will become good. No, he will not. You can give a man the best environment, a child the best environment to grow up in, and he will be as corrupt as a child who grows up in a bad environment. Why? Because of the heart and the tendencies of the heart. And guess what? Now that we are saved, we understand that we are not under the condemnation of God because of the uh, blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sin. But understand, the heart, our hearts has not disappeared. Our heart is still Uh, in its state with its tendencies. You know, uh, sometimes, and I I joke about this, but this is, it happens so often. You know, you think about you in your personal daily interactions. And sometimes some people seem to be more sensitive than others, but sometimes, you know, some people are really sensitive and you say, hey, how are you doing? And then they reply and says, what do you mean? And it's like, how are you doing? I I don't even need anything by that. But, right, that sensitivity is, well, what is that? That's the tendency of the heart. Often when there's no justification to do something, the heart will come up with the justification. Uh, You see, in the church, everything was going well. We think, well, what could go wrong? I'll tell you what can go wrong. There are thousands of people that are part of the first century church, and they all still have their hearts. And that's what we learn. We see the tendencies of the heart. But number two, we see the influence on the heart. If we were to read uh, the letter of 1 John, he sums up for us all that is in the world. He says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so that's uh, really how the world works. That's the state of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But there are influences in the world that are at work. And as we read in verse number 3, Peter looks at Ananias and says, Why hath Satan filled thine heart? And so I see in verse number 3, if you would, an influence on the heart. 
an influence on the heart, and that is the influence of Satan. The first mention we find of the devil in the New Testament is found in Matthew chapter number 4 with the Lord's temptation in the wilderness. If you remember, he tempted the Lord with the really the, the same ideas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, that was exactly what happened in Genesis chapter number 3. Uh, Eve was tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She saw that the tree was uh, pleasant to the eyes. She saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a tree that would make her wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life right there. And so the devil influenced Eve just as he tried to influence our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at the New Testament, how is the devil described? Well, let me give you a few of them. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his tricks, of his deception. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 Neither give place to the devil. That is something we have to do. We can't give any place to the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 2 Timothy 2.26, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. 1 Timothy 3.6, we read of the condemnation of the devil. 1 Timothy 3.7, we read about the snares of the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11, we read about the wiles of the devil. You see, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And uh, uh, the Bible, when the first John tells us that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but who is it of? It's of the devil. And as a matter of fact, the devil, will, as he tempted Eve, he tried to tempt Jesus Christ. He tempted in those three areas, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And as you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you look at Eve and you think, well, remember the accusation? God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye will be as God. Ultimately, what is it that... Uh, the devil uses to influence us to arouse the desire for someone to be captivated or deceived by the devil. He will always appeal to your pride. God is trying to keep something from you. God is uh, trying to keep you down. What is it that we see? 2 Corinthians 11.3, uh, Paul writes to the believers at Corinth and he says, but I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve uh, through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, so he's talking to a group of believers in the book of Corinthians. He says, your minds can be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How can we be corrupted? When we succumb to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. 
So we see the tendencies of the heart, we see the influence on the heart, but we also see the capturing of the heart. When we come to Acts chapter number 5, chapter 5, we see in verse number 3, why hath Satan, and here it is, filled thine heart? And I'm thinking, it's not that there was just an influence here, it's that they were, Satan filled their heart. How, how, how does that happen? Because if you read back in chapter number 4, remember the believers in, in verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Ephesians chapter 5 says, uh, uh, Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with, with, with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And here Ananias and Sapphira were filled. Their hearts was filled. Why hath Satan filled thine heart? And I'm thinking here, Filled, what does it mean when we think about the Holy Spirit of God? We think about the filling. We think that, right, we are under the control of the Spirit of God. So, Ananias and Sapphira here were basically yielding themselves to what the devil wanted to do. Now, what is interesting here is that the devil didn't say, hey, don't give any money. Right? A good portion of money went to the church. But, but how did the devil deceive to think that you could keep back part, that you can not only not make the full sacrifice, but you can even impress everybody? You can, if you would, love money. You can love God too. You can... Enjoy the things of the world and say, well, God's not going to touch this part and yet still serve God. You can, you can do both. That's a great deception of the devil. Jesus himself said he cannot serve God and mammon. He didn't say it's, it's difficult. He says you cannot serve God and mammon. It's either all or, or it's either all the Holy Spirit or it's all, uh, if you would, being filled with the devices of Satan. Now, what is interesting is, if we go back to, uh, go back with me to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, there is the great confession of the apostle Peter, who, who, who said, uh, uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you remember what Jesus Christ said after that? He says, well, uh, thou art Peter. And he said, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we applaud Peter. We say, what a wonderful thing that Peter said. And certainly it was wonderful. But then Peter, just after this great confession, is going to put his foot in his mouth, as we say. Notice verse 21. After this great confession by Peter, verse 21, Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And here it is. Then Peter took him. Now, that's the Lord. He took him and began to rebuke him saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned, that's Jesus, he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, 
Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now, some people contend here, while Jesus Christ, you know, Satan was kind of standing there behind Peter, and he was kind of addressing Satan behind there, not Peter. No, that's not what Jesus said. He says, Thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men, not of angels. Now, as we study through the Gospels, what do we understand about the disciples? That they were, as many people in Israel, they were primarily concerned at first with the kingdom of God. That Jesus Christ would be set up as the king, he would remove the Roman rule, the Roman government, and so establish his kingdom. Remember what the debate was? When your kingdom come, who's going to be at your right hand? Who's going to be at your left hand? Even one of the mothers of the disciples said, Hey, could you have both my sons, one of them sit on your right hand, one of them sit on your left hand? And here, uh, Peter thinks here, this goes against here. Jesus just said, I will build my church. And now he's saying he's going to die? Not understanding that the church would arise from the death of Christ. But what was he concerned about? The things of this world. You remember what Jesus said when he was facing Pilate? When Pilate says, don't you know I have the power to take your life or to save your life? Remember what Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But my kingdom is not of this world. And what happens right after Genesis uh, or Matthew 16? Peter is going to take out a sword and is going to try to kill a man for Christ. What was he concerned about? He was savoring the things that were of men more than the things that were of God. So Jesus turns around and says, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't believe that here uh, Peter was literally Satan. What I believe is that Jesus is basically saying, you've given yourself over to the influence of Satan, where you think that all the things that matter are the things in this world that are temporary and that are passing. And you, you need to savor, and by the way, the way savor means to think upon, to dwell upon. That means that what was that means that during the time somehow Peter, during while he was following Christ, while he had forsaken all but following Christ, where was his mind most of the time? What is my benefit? Remember what they said? Hey, we have forsaken all for you. What's in it for us? You remember that? that that's, that's the attitude. What is that? That's the heart. I'm going to do something for God, but I still want the world. That's where Ananias was. I want to do something for God. I want to give some money, but I want to keep back part of the price. And so, what was conceived in his heart, what arose in his heart, remember what the devil's looking for? He's walking about, seeking who he does. You know what the devil is simply looking for? He's looking for an open door. But we cannot say, well, the devil made me do it. You see, the devil will only take the opportunity that is given to him. That's why James says, resist the devil. Submit yourselves before to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But if you give him room, guess what? Your life is going to begin to be filled with all that the devil has deceived you with. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So... We see the tendencies of the heart, the influence on the heart, the capturing of the heart. But thirdly, remember Jesus, when he looked at the Pharisees before we move on, 
He says, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. But lastly, we see the responsibility over the heart. In verse number 4, as you go back to Acts chapter 5, notice Acts 5, verse number 4. Peter looks at Ananias and says, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? He's talking about the money that they brought. I mean, when you had that property, was that yours, Ananias? Well, the answer is yes. I'll answer for him there. Yes, that's, that's your property, Ananias. And after it was sold, was it not thy own power? In other words, didn't you make the decision? In other words, we didn't tell you to do that. Wasn't that your doing? Uh, the answer again is, I'll answer for him. Yes. So, why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And so here, I believe, we see the responsibility over the heart. Something happened, something arose in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. But notice, it, not, it did not just arise. Satan filled their hearts, and what did they do? They, they were conspiring. They were, uh, his wife, Sapphira, was made privy to it. It was an open discussion. And they thought they could deceive everyone. And so there is a responsibility here that Peter says, was it not, notice he says, thine own, thine own power, thine heart, thou? What does he do? He says, it was your responsibility, Ananias. You made the decisions all along. What arose in your heart was of your own heart, but you did nothing to stop it. You know what that, that, that tells us here? We are often as we walk this life, and we, we may go to church, and we may do things that we do, and we may appear everything right on the outside. But God knows something that nobody else knows, and we even know something that nobody else knows, and that is the condition of our hearts. And what I believe this passage is teaching is we better not continue and go very long Deceiving ourselves and allowing our hearts to be, right, given to the devil, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and yet be in pretense serving God. We must not allow that to continue to happen. Uh, that's why Proverbs 4.23 tells us, keep thy heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life we think about the heart, let me leave you with this thought. You know what is possible for, and I'll, I'll give you uh, two scenarios about myself. It is possible for me to, uh, I'll take you through a Monday through, through a Saturday, it's possible for me to get up Monday and to spend time in prayer, to read my Bible, to study the Bible, and to, uh, you know, to be kind to my neighbor, and to go on the next day and to uh, Wednesday and to go to church, and I can even do all the things I'm supposed to. I can even go visiting on Saturday and knock on doors and seek to witness to the lost, and I can go to church on Sunday. I can be here in Sunday school and preach the Word and, and teach the Word, and I can go into the service. I can sing songs and wonderful songs about the Lord and glorify God. I can play uh, the trumpet and do all those things and teach the Bible Institute on uh, Sunday afternoon and come back to the evening service and preach and sing together again. And I, I can do all that. But there's two ways I can do that. The first way is I can 
be genuine in my heart. Or I can pretend. You see, it is possible for us to do things for God without having our hearts right with God. It's possible to do things for God without our hearts being right with God. But it is impossible for our hearts to be right with God and us do nothing for God. Because if the evil proceeds from the heart, then the good also proceeds from the heart. That which the Spirit of God does in our lives. You see, we can serve God without God. But if we're seeking to follow God, we will serve God. You see, we must be very careful here. And what we see here, again, I'm not saying is we, we all are, uh, are tempted. We all fall, and there's always times in our lives when we say to the Lord, we have failed in this area. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking here with Ananias and Sapphira. The language, as Peter is asking the question, he basically goes through all the steps. Wasn't the land your own? Didn't you make the decision? When you sold it, was it not your money? You see what he's doing? He's going back to the whole history of the life of Ananias since the moment he conceived in his heart that he was going to deceive everybody. And every step of the way, the heart drew further and further and further away from God until he showed up to the church that day with his heart as far removed from God as it possibly could be. And God killed him. You see, this is a warning for us about our hearts. And the difficulty is we like to take care of things that are visible, but often I will admit to you that I am delinquent in things that are not. Just as Ananias was delinquent in the things that were not visible, we must not be delinquent in the things that are not visible, and we must keep our hearts with all diligence. What is the enemy? What's going to destroy the First Day Baptist Church, I'll tell you what destroyed from within. And I believe that to a greater degree, the greatest enemy of the church is not from without. If you study church history, the church always thrives under persecution. It always does. Today, in the countries where believers are persecuting, believers are thriving. I don't believe that's the greatest enemy of the church. What has killed the church in the United States of America is not persecution. It's the deceitful heart. Churches going after the world. Churches corrupting in doctrine. Where does that all come from? It comes from an evil heart. And so may the Lord help us. We have to keep our hearts, examine ourselves. And so may the Lord help us to do just that. So that we can, if you would, what we see that happening in Acts 4, Let's keep it going, right? We, we, see, we wanted this to keep going. Let's go. But chapter 5, let's pause and consider something that could happen to the church, could happen to this church. And so may the Lord help us. If our hearts are in tune with God, God will do wonderful things. Let's pray.